Okay, guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant, Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls Ministry. This is episode 48, A Covenant God, Part 5. And I think I'm going to end this rant series this week with Part 5, but I finally got to kind of where I wanted to get to the whole time when we're really looking at just the shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. And what I really want to look at today is the truth that Jesus didn't cancel the old covenant in order to bring forth the new covenant. Jesus fulfilled it. And that's my main verse for tonight that I'm going to build on. And then I have a couple of big passages I want to read. I want to actually read a whole chapter to end in 2 Corinthians. I want to read chapter 3. But before we get to that, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and this is Jesus speaking. This is the red letters. He says, Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. See, I feel like the idea of Jesus canceling the Old Covenant almost kind of makes it seem like he was fixing a mistake or righting a wrong or undoing something that God did. But what we've seen so far in, in the last oh month now is that God didn't make a mistake when he made the Old Covenant. He was simply making a, an agreement with the people for a time and a place and a purpose. We looked at some of the everlasting covenants of God, the covenant or agreement that God made with himself and included Abraham in to uh, to have an incorruptible seed that culminated in Jesus. And we looked at the uh, some of the other um, eternal everlasting covenants that God made with David to not just be a special people, but a royal people. And the eternal everlasting covenant that God made with Moses, where, I mean, I'm sorry, Noah, where he basically said, get in the ark and live, the ark being Jesus. And uh, I had a question about this, but um, when we're talking about Noah's ark, that word really just means boat. And when we were talking about the ark of the covenant or the, uh, I mean, basically it was just a box and it was very ornate. And and I thought about going into this deeper and maybe I will someday, but uh, it held the, the law of Moses, the 10 commandments, and it held Aaron's staff that budded when the people tried to say, we want to choose our own priest. And God said, no, here's my chosen selection. I choose Aaron. Aaron's my guy. And it held a pot of manna, which was God's, uh, you know, miraculous provision from heaven. So to me, all three of those things represent that old covenant. It was the law that God gave, the high priest who uh, would minister that law to the people, and God's miraculous provision for the people as they followed Him in, in His new law and His new and His well new to them, but old in in the context of the cross covenant. So that covenant was very important to those people. At that time, they were just coming out of 400 years of slavery and they really didn't know how to live. They didn't know how to be free. And anytime you give someone freedom, there is a chance that they will abuse that freedom. But that doesn't mean that 
freedom is a bad thing. And that doesn't mean that you crack down and take freedom away. Freedom is the most important thing that we have as people on this earth. If you don't have freedom, you don't have anything. If you think you should trade your freedom for safety, you're not really safe. You're at the mercy of somebody else. So, uh, again, it's, it's the, it's, it's walking in newness of life. It's the perfect law of liberty. It's being able to remember Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but that doesn't mean all things are expedient. Like you can do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean you should. So freedom is the, the, it's freedom of choice. It's freedom to be able to choose the, the best things for you to do and to choose not to do those things that are not good for you. And I think people miss that a lot of times too. Like, like we think, oh, I'm free, so I can do anything. So I'm just going to do these horrible things. Well, no, why would you do that? Just because you're free to do horrible things doesn't mean you should do them. It doesn't mean it's going to be good for you or for anybody else. So you're free from the law and sin and death, but you're free to love under the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. It, it's a, it, it, it's, there, there's two things there, what you're free from and what you're free to. But my point for today is that, uh, and, and I think it says it actually a little more succinctly in the King James Version, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that's what we saw again, I, I believe it was last week, where we talked about uh, Jesus fulfilling all righteousness when he was baptized in the Jordan River. When, when the water was rolled all the way back to Adam, when, when the Ark of the Covenant in the book of, I believe, Joshua, uh, when, it, when it came into the river and the people crossed over, when Jesus was baptized in the river, the people crossed over from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, he brought that to fulfillment in, in all its uh, mighty glory. So let's look at, first I want to read Colossians 2, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 17. And in the New Living Translation, the header for this section says, Freedom from rules and new life in Christ. And that's, I think, what the whole point of this whole Covenant God rant series has been about, is to get us out of that religious mindset where we're so stuck on do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and, uh, you know, the, the, the law that demands perfection but can't produce perfection, the law that only shows us that we're lawbreakers, we need to get away from that. We need to get out of that. And we need to be free from that and have this new life in Christ. Because Jesus didn't just bring in the new covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. He's just not, he's not just the moderator of it. He's not just our high priest. The new covenant is Jesus. It's his abundant, everlasting, eternal resurrection life that he gave to us on the cross so that we could experience his life as he lives his own life in us and through us and as us. So let's see, see what Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 6 says. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And I want to stop there and add this to that. Now that Christ lives in us, 
the indwelling Holy Spirit, now in us lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That's why I can say things like, as he is, so are we in this world. That's why I can say things like, Jesus is our true identity. That's why I can say things like, Jesus is God in the flesh, love in a body. God in our flesh, love in our body. He is, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, and in us lives Christ, right? So verse 10 goes on and it says, So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete in him. You have no lack because your God has no lack. We don't need anything. God has already provided it for us. In Christ, it's always yea and amen. The Father doesn't withhold anything from us. If he would give us his only begotten son, who he loved more than anything, if he would give that to us, what would he hold back from us? I would say nothing. I would say he has already opened the windows of heaven that we are so that heaven can come into us and out through us. We are the spout where God's glory comes out. So we need to stop living our lives from a place of lack. We need to stop living our lives from a place of, well, if I follow the rules, then maybe I can have what I want. And that's a good thing, you know, I guess in the natural, uh, you know, positive reinforcement and rewarding good deeds instead of always trying to slam down on, on bad deeds. I get that. Train up a child in the way he should go. I get that. But spiritually speaking, that's not how it works. You don't earn anything spiritually from your heavenly father. His life is the gift that he has already given us. And all we can do is receive it and release it. And in that way, we experience it. We receive it and release it, and we release it by receiving it. We fill ourselves to overflowing with, with what he has already filled us with. And then as it comes out of us and gets onto the people that we come into contact with, that's how we experience this life that we have been given. And I like here how it talks about Christ being the head over every ruler and authority, because, you know, there, there's some religious folk who, who like, I, I've heard this before. People are like, well, God told me this. And they'll be like, yeah, but the Bible says. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I love the Bible. But you're saying words from thousands of years ago are more important than the living God living in people today? I don't know. I don't think so. But it goes on in verse 11 and it says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. I think that's so important that we understand that the old man, that old sin nature, died in the watery grave of baptism. And that old man didn't rise up again. The new man rose up. Jesus rose up. Jesus became like we were so we could become like he is. He 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 emptied himself of all the glory of God and he put on the sinful flesh and he came to earth and he died so that sin could die, so that death could die. And the reason that death died is because 3 days later he rose again and conquered death and defeated death and now we don't have to worry about death anymore because there's a resurrection and his name is Jesus. So it goes on and says in verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. 
he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Everything in the Old Covenant, everything in the Old Testament is Christ concealed. And everything in the New Covenant, everything in the New Testament is Christ revealed. That's why you have to read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament of the Bible cross-eyed. You have to look at it through the light of the cross. You have to look at it through the finished work of the cross. And you have to be able to see Jesus in every word, every line, every verse, and every chapter, and every book. It's all Jesus. And when we understand that, we can get some spiritual truths from some of these natural things that happened to to the, the people of Israel. But I really want to focus in on verse 14, and I'm going to read it again, and then I want to read it in the King James. Second, or I'm sorry, Colossians 2, 14 says, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in the King James Version, it reads, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's important because when we see this idea of the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that's the Ten Commandments. And I know that because Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10 says, The Lord gave me the two tablets on which God had written with his own finger all the words he had spoken to you from the heart of the fire when you were assembled at the mountain. God wrote with his handwriting, with his finger, on those two tablets, and that was the Ten Commandments. So that's literally what we're talking about. We're talking about the Ten Commandments and the the four hundred the four hundred and thirty some odd laws that uh, the the people of Israel projected out of those Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Old Covenant. That's what was contrary to us. That's what was against us. That's what accused us. And, and, and you know, I've been saying this, and I'm going to keep saying it. The more laws you have, the more lawbreakers you have. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. So what we need to understand is that strict parents make sneaky children. What you need to do instead of uh, crushing people with laws and rules and regulations, instead of telling people what's wrong with them all the time and telling them what they did wrong and always being on a sin hunt, what you ought to do is be on a righteousness hunt and tell people what's right with them and help them see who they really are in Christ, which is who Christ is in them. Then they can start to experience who they really are, then they can stop trying to be someone that they're not in order to get something that they think they haven't got, and they can start to be who they are and experience the gift of God that has already been given to us. To me, that's much more important, and that's much more uh, real, and that's much more life-giving. The, the, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus. So what Jesus did, because this law, because this Ten Commandments was contrary to us, because nobody could obey the law. Uh, I, I believe it was Paul wrote in, in, in another part of the Bible that if if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. And it was, you know, Jesus himself who preached the law to such a degree that if you if you're angry at someone, if you have hate in your heart towards someone, then you've murdered them. 
he took it out of even uh, out of even your actions and into your thoughts and intents of your heart, which, you know, nobody really can control that. So what Jesus did was he made sure that everybody knew you're a sinner and you need a savior. And then he came to the cross and he was lifted up from the earth and he drew all men into himself. He gave us that circumcision. He cut away that old sinful flesh. He left that old man in the watery grave of baptism and he brought us out of Adam and into himself. He drew us into himself and he planted himself in us so that we could stop trying to obey an external law and so that we could start experiencing his internal life coming out of us from our hearts, from his heart beating with love in our chests. So he accomplished the purpose of the law. The law was given as a placeholder until the, the, the appointed time. The law was given to shut up every mouth, take uh, every excuse out of everybody's lives to, to, to show us all that nobody can follow it. The law was given to bring us to Christ. And then when Christ came, we didn't need the law anymore. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, plan A didn't work, so I'll send Jesus as plan B. It was all part of God's plan. The law was given for a time and a place. God made that covenant with the people. Remember, the people agreed, yes, we will do this. Yes, we will do this, even though they couldn't do it. And then they tried to do it, and they failed to do it. And Jesus said, it's okay. You can't do it, but I'm here. I'm going to do it. And then he did it, and now we're done with that part. He fulfilled it. He accomplished it. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to read this in the Message Bible. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. So I'm going to try to move kind of quickly so we can close out on this uh, episode today and on this series. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in the Message Bible, it reads, Does it sound like we're patting ourselves on the back, insisting on our credentials, asserting our authority? Well, we're not. Neither do we need letters of endorsement, either to you or from you. You yourselves are all the endorsement we need. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives, and we publish it. And that's why I always say, uh, what's our purpose on this earth? We are God's love letter to the world. We publish his letter that he wrote in our hearts. We, we, we let what he put in us come out of us by filling ourselves to overflowing with what he has already filled us with. So it goes on in verse six and says, we couldn't be more sure of ourselves in this, that you, written by Christ himself for God, are our letter of recommendation. We wouldn't think of writing this kind of letter about ourselves. Only God can write such a letter. His letter authorizes us to help carry out this new plan of action. The plan wasn't written out with ink on paper, with pages and pages of legal footnotes killing your spirit. It's written with spirit on spirit, his life on our lives. And then there's a little section break here, and it says, Lifting the Veil, starting with verse 7. The government of death, its constitution chiseled on stone tablets, had a dazzling inaugural. And again, this is the Ten Commandments, written, chiseled on stone tablet, written in God's handwriting. It says, Moses' face, as he delivered the tablets, was so bright that day, even though it would fade soon enough, that the people of Israel could no more look right at him than stare into the sun. How much more dazzling, then, the government of living spirit. If the government of condemnation was impressive, 
How about this government of affirmation? Bright as that old government was, it would look downright dull alongside this new one. If that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for eternity. Did you see the difference there? This government is for eternity because this government is that incorruptible seed that is Jesus, this everlasting life, this eternal, abundant, everlasting resurrection life of God. That's what the new covenant is. That's what the gift of God is. He brought us out of a law that we had to keep and into a life that will keep us. And remember what we saw in Colossians. Once you accept him, you start to follow him. Once you get that God, that, that, that Holy Spirit, that spirit of truth that leads and guides us into all truth, once you get that in your life, then that spirit leads you and guides you and directs you and protects you. It keeps you safe from harm. It keeps you from going astray. It keeps you on that straight and narrow way that leads to life. That way that is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. No man can experience a father-son relationship with God unless they know God as Heavenly Father and themselves as his beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. Jesus is our true identity and he gives us access to the Father. God sent the spirit of sonship into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, so that we can know him as Father, so that we can stop looking at God as some angry, distant taskmaster with a list of rules that we have to follow. And instead, we can see him as our Father, as our provider, as the one who loves us. As uh, The Bible speaks about man being the apple of God's eye, like, like you're his favorite, and so am I. We are his most prized creation. He, God, who is love, wanted to express himself, so he created us so that he could express himself to us, in us, through us, and as us, so that he could express his love to us, in us, through us, and as us. And that means that when you love somebody, you are expressing God to them. You are fill, That's how you fill yourself to overflowing with what you've been filled with. That's how you receive and release the life of God, because it's all about love. When you love somebody, you are proving to yourself that God loves you, because you can't give what you don't have, and you can only give what you do have. You couldn't love somebody unless God loved you first. And the Bible says that in another place. It says we love because he first loved us. We love him by loving each other. That's how this whole thing works. We share the gift that God has given us, and in that way we experience it. But it's not these rules and regulations. It's not these laws that were written on this tablet. That's the government of condemnation. And it was impressive, but the government of affirmation is so much more impressive. It's the brightly shining government installed for eternity. So we go on in verse 12 in the Message Bible, and it reads, with that kind of hope to excite us, nothing holds us back. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything is out in the open with us. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. And they didn't notice. They didn't notice it then, and they don't notice it now. Don't notice that there's nothing left behind that veil. Even today, when the proclamations of that old bankrupt government are read out, they can't see through it. Only Christ can get rid of the veil so that they can see for themselves that there's nothing there. Whenever, though, they turn to face God, as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, 
face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. To me, that's awesome. To me, you have this law that condemns you, this law that's contrary to you, this law that is against you, this law that accuses you of wrongdoing. And it was good for what it was for. It fulfilled its purpose. It brought us to Christ. It showed us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But that's all it was for. That was not meant to show you uh, the things to do in order for God to accept you. God never accepts people on the basis of what they do. God only accepts people on the basis of who they are. A father accepting and embracing a son. So when we understand that we have his DNA, the divine nature of the Almighty, when we understand that it's not about rules, when we understand that it's not about performance, when we can get out of man-centered, performance-based religion, and we can get into the grace and mercy and forgiveness and love of God, when we can stop trying to be someone we're not, that's when we can start to embrace who we really are. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that a lot of people have, especially nowadays, it seems like more than ever, is people have such low self-esteem because all their lives the world has told them that they do everything wrong. And that's why I love the verse, I believe it's in Proverbs, which talks about training up a child in the way he should go. We need to build people up instead of always tearing them down. And the easiest way to do that is to get them early and to get them young and to show them uh, that way you don't have to repair things as much. That way you don't have to fix broken things or broken people as much. If you can build someone up in the way they should go, you can help them to miss out on a lot of that heart, that heartache and, 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 and that hardship when they're trying so hard to be someone and the world is telling them that they're failing. And that's what the world will do. The world will scream at the top of its lungs how bad you are and how wrong you are in order to try to get you to change into the world. And that's why Paul wrote in, in the book of Romans, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By letting the mind of Christ that is already in you be in you. Guys, we have everything we need. And we were given everything we need by our Heavenly Father. And we were not given the law of Moses, because we are not the the people of Israel. We are not Jewish people. Okay, so why are we trying to follow a law that was never given to us in the first place and was never meant to be followed? The law was meant to bring us to Christ. And now that we get to Christ, he takes over. And as it says again in, uh, in verse 18, it says, And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. I really like that, especially the idea of our lives gradually coming 
becoming brighter and more beautiful. Because as we saw in uh, in Colossians, we are complete in him. Like that's a done deal. We have no lack because he has no lack. As he is, so are we in this world. But the more we learn who he is and in that way learn who we are, the more we be who we are, the more our lives become brighter and more beautiful, the more the light that's already in us can shine. And it's a gradual thing. It doesn't have to happen like like flipping a light switch. It doesn't have to happen at the, the snap of a finger or the twinkling of an eye. It's a journey. It's a, and it's a never ending journey. It's an everlasting journey. It's a, it's a everlasting lifelong journey. And the journey is really just a journey into the heart of the matter, which is the heart, God's heart beating with love in our chests. When we focus on God's heart beating with love in our chests, when we focus on the truth, the ultimate truth of the universe, that God is love and he loves you. When we focus on God's love for us, that's when God's love for us comes out of us and manifests as love for him in love for each other, right? It's God and people, loving God and loving people, loving God by loving people. That's what this life is for. That's what this life is about. That's what matters in this life. It's not about laws you keep. It's about a life that keeps you. It's not about trying to be someone you're not. It's about finding out who you are by finding out who Jesus is, by letting Jesus reveal himself to you, in you, through you, and as you. So the law is obsolete. The law has been fulfilled. It wasn't canceled, but it's no longer relevant to our lives. If the law brings you to Christ, you're good. You're done with the law. And now you're where you're supposed to be. And Christ takes it from there. So that's where I think I want to end this series. And we'll do something new next week. Um, as always, thank you so much for all your support, helping me get this word out there and, uh, yeah, we will see you guys next week. Okay. Well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can, uh, get the, my books that are written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because I don't like to pay a lot of money for books. And I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, if you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant, um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it. And you can, su- you can support it, excuse me by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it, to uh, to help me to get the word out, which, you know, as we know by now is, is my heart, is just getting this word out, Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, so just thank you for your support. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.